Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. You know the book of Philemon, the book of Philemon, which is a small book. It's really just one chapter. It's a letter tucked away in the Old Testament. Um, if you've never read it, then here you go. You get this introduction to Philemon. Uh, Philemon, verse 8 says this, accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul talking, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. You know what I appreciate about Apostle Paul? He's he's not passive aggressive, right? He's not like, hey, so um, let me just get to the point like 30 minutes later. Okay, he says, no, I'm gonna get to the point right now. I am bold enough because of my authority in Christ that I'm going to challenge you, Philemon, to do what is required on your life. Um, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, where it's gloomy and stormy, especially this time of year. Um, We don't get a lot of rain, or a lot of sun. We get a lot of rain. And um, so every once a year, our prayer would be during the fast would be that we would get to go to somewhere sunny for spring break, you know? So we would be praying, God, please, please let it be Hawaii, you know? And so we would pray. My dad told us, pray about everything. So we prayed about earthing. And so we finally, you know, when I was in, in middle school, we, we prayed and we went to Hawaii. And it was my, you know, my seventh or eighth grade year, you know? And apparently when you're in middle school, like, you know, because like the Hebrew tradition is when you're 13, you become a man, like, how many of you have interacted with a 13-year-old boy and understand, like, they're not men, okay? <laughs> like, like, if you have a 13-year-old, we pray for you. There's smells, there's things, like, you have no idea what's going on. Like, what the heck? What does my house smell like that? Um, right? So my parents had three boys, okay? So pray for them in Jesus' name as they are now recouping from us now being in the house. And so their house now is for the first time in 26 years, been clean because we're all gone, you know. Um, anyway, so we had three boys and, and we'd go to Hawaii and it was like this rite of passage as a man because I'm 13 and I was a man um, that there was this cliff that we would jump off. Well, they would jump off. And so this year they're like, hey, Jake, you're gonna be a man this year. You're in eighth grade. Jump off the cliff. It's 65 feet. And I'm like, yeah, can't wait. Like, I want to be a man. And so I'm like flexing 115 pounds of just pure muscle, pure muscle. You know, I, I can't brag about it. It's like, you know, it's just God gave me 115 pounds. It was awesome, right? Like five foot two, you know, squeaky voice. But I'm a man, right? That's what it is. And so I get to the edge of the cliff and they had all jumped off and my brothers are down in the water. They're like, Jake, we got you. We got you. Come on, jump. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to jump. And I like go to jump. I'm like, all right, this is what I need you to do. You know, you pause, you pull back. Can you count for me? Yeah, good idea, all right? So I'm like, count to three. They're like, three, two, no, no, start at one. I can't do it if you start at three. They're like, okay, one, two. All right, hey, let's count to five. Let's count to five. And I'm standing on the edge, right? This goes on for a good hour hour and a half. No, no exaggeration. I'm standing there. And every time I go to jump, I'm like, count to 10. You know, they're like, Jake, you just got to do it, bro. We're turning into prunes waiting for you in the water. Like there's like an argument from 65 feet above each other. And so while I'm waiting, 
um, a girl from my class in eighth grade comes up with her dad and she just runs and jumps off. <laughs> like, that'll challenge your supposed manhood as a 13-year-old, right? So she jumps off and, and uh, I was like, you know what, guys? I think my doctor wouldn't want me to do this. Like, I have a doctor's note somewhere. And I walked away. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't jump, you know? It's like, that's the moral of the story, okay? Um, no, next year, I came back, and it took me another two hours, but I finally did it. Come on. God's a way maker. Happen. But, but what, what's interesting about it is there's sometimes that when you're facing something that's very intimidating, you think that the more that you look at it, the more that you try to deal with it, the more that you try to figure out a way to do it, and you count down, and it'll make it easier to deal with. So I thought that, oh, if my brothers count down, it'll make me want to jump. In fact, it made it worse. Because what did I think of for those whole three seconds? I got to do this thing, right? And then I would get to the third, nah, I can't do it. Some of us, that's how we deal with things in life, right? There's, There's certain things in life, there's certain issues in life that are, if we were honest, at the forefront of our mind, the forefront of our heart, of our thinking. And anytime we get close to dealing with it, we think about it so much, we look at it so much, and we, we try to deal with it, and we're like, I just don't think I can, I don't think I can do it. It doesn't get easier, it actually gets more difficult, right? The more we try, I've gotta, I've gotta, I gotta just will my way through this. I gotta work my way through this. And we're trying to work and we're trying to will and we're trying to count ourselves down to jump into this problem and we find ourselves just right back where we were, stuck. Facing this issue, not knowing how to deal with it. Interestingly enough, in our, in our story in the book of Philemon, this is where the subject of our story was at, Philemon. Now Philemon, just a little backstory, was a good man. He was a businessman in the, in the church of Coloss. He was, he was a giver. He was a small group leader. He led the group. He had them over at his house. He was, he was doing everything that was good that, that, that you were supposed to do as a Christian believer. Leading, he's, he's giving, he's, he's doing, he's sacrificing. But there was a problem that he was facing. There was a problem in his life that, that, that was bigger than, than him. And he had a worker and his name was Unisimus. And Unisimus had, had, had left him, had stole from him, had backstabbed him, had talked bad about him, and had completely rejected him. Now this was his right-hand man. This was his go-to guy. And he left. He rejected him. He backstabbed him. He talked bad about him. And now he left hurt him. And Philemon is sitting in this place. He's still doing his job, still doing, he's leading, but he's sitting here facing a problem he doesn't know if he can deal with because at this time, Philemon had every right to put Onesimus to death for what he did. He had every right by law to say, you are going to death for stealing from me, for, for, for robbing me, for backstabbing me, for rejecting me because he was one of his workers. He had every right to put him to death and he is facing this problem. And now the apostle Paul, his pastor, comes and writes a letter of recommendation for Onesimus. Some of y'all don't even like it when the person, one of your friends comments on a person you don't like's photo. You're like, um, I thought we were friends. You know, you, don't you know we've got beef? <laughs> like, like, are you like a photo? And they're like, hey, I saw that you like this person's photo. Like, why do you care that much, right? Paul is writing a letter of recommendation for the person that Philemon was hurt by the most. Like, he's saying, hey, I need you to do what's required. In verse eight, everything shifts in the, in, in the letter. 
the first part of the letter, Philemon's feeling good, guys. You gotta read it. He's feeling good. Paul's like, you are awesome. This is my paraphrase. You're a leader. You're powerful. And he's like, I am. I am awesome. Paul's buttering him up, right? Verse eight, he shifts everything. He's like, all right. Now let me tell you, it's time to do what's required. Hey, I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you're leading. I'm glad you're doing all these things. But it's time that you do what's required on your life. There's time that, that, that you do what's required. And that is to bring Onesimus, the one who hurt you, the one who backstabbed you, the one who rejected you. I want you to bring him back into community. I want you to forgive him. I want you to reconcile with him. This is what's required on your life. See, Paul is reminding him, a great leader, of, hey, you need to do what's required. Required is to do what's fitting, to do what's proper, and it's an action that is above you. It is an action that is above you. There's the situations in our lives that our natural ability cannot deal with. See, we can only play church for so long. We can only go through the motions for so long. There's gonna come a point in our walk with Christ that life requires what has happened on the inside to start working its way out on the outside. There is gonna come a time in your life that Christ, what Christ has done is gonna be required that you live in a different way. That you live in this way that, that your natural ability cannot deal with it. See, I think sometimes as Christians, we, we choose the situations that we know we can handle because we wanna feel good about our walk. Like we've dealt with that before. I feel good. I can deal with that. But what Paul is saying to Philemon, he's saying, hey, I know that you don't struggle being a leader. I know you don't struggle being a giver. I know you don't struggle with these things, but what I want you to do is actually face the thing that you are struggling with. I want you to look at it in the face and, and, and look at it and say, I am no longer gonna be held down by this thing. I'm no longer gonna be stuck where I'm at. I'm gonna face what is required of me and I'm gonna go what's beyond my natural ability and say, okay, God, take me where you wanna take me because the places that God wants to lead us in life are not gonna come if we stay where we are comfortable. They only come when we live in what's required of us. We all have a situation where we've been hurt so bad, made a mistake that took us too far people who did us too wrong that we could never forgive, or maybe we've just stopped relying on the spirit of God that revived us in the first place, but all of us can face in life the things that require something of you. And my challenge to us today is to not run from them and to not try to do them on our own and not try to conjure them up in religion because as long as we continue to look at these things and try to face them on our own and will ourselves to freedom, we will find ourselves in the same place we were when we first started looking at it, stuck. But there is a way to deal with what's required. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God 
who was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna break this down theologically for us because this is one of the most powerful and beautiful verses in the entire Bible. And if we can grab this and understand this, we will be able to face what's required of us. Now, let me break it down. We are a three-part being. We are body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit is, is the inner man. It's the most, it's the center of who we are. So when Christ died for us and we give our heart to Jesus and we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that he is God and we submit our life to him, guess what happens? When it says we become a new creation in Christ, our spirit becomes new. We have a sin nature by the way that we are born. We are born into brokenness. So our spirit is born with a sin nature, which means this, that we have no chance against sin without Jesus. Sin will always rule and reign over us until we give our heart to Christ. But when we give our heart to Christ, we receive a new nature, which is no longer our sin nature, but it's his nature. And so no longer does sin have its reign over us, but we have its reign over sin. We are not just established to the proper position with God, but we are established to our original purpose with God, which is to rule and to reign. So the things that have ruled and reigned your life for so long, when you are with Christ, guess what? You now can rule and reign over over it. So that's our, that, that, that's our spirit being. But we are spirit, soul, and body. So the second level is this, is our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, which we all know the soul can be funky. Or as Pastor Ben said, it's sketchy. It's sketchy. And then your body, which is your chemistry, your biology, your natural impulses, these things, right, that, that, that lead you and guide you. See, what he's saying in, in 2 Corinthians is Christ has given you a new creation in your spirit, so you now need to walk it out in your soul and in your body. So what is required of you has already been done in your spirit. Understand that. So you're facing something you cannot handle. Guess what? Christ already faced it. Christ already won. Christ already dealt with it. And he has given you that victory in your spirit. And he's saying, now it is time to align your mind, your will, and your emotions and your impulses to with what I have done in your spirit. And I'm going to bring something out of you you did not even know existed. This is why it's important that we don't just live for what's comfortable, but we face for what's required because Christ is requiring you to reconcile the things that used to be your enemy. Reconciliation means, to, means this, to make things right, to exchange, to go from being an enemy to being a friend. That's what Christ did to you and to me. Our sin nature separated us from him and it required him to come down to earth and die so we can no longer be enemies of God, but we can become friends of God. And I, what I love about this story in Philemon is when Paul writes this letter, he says this, he doesn't want him to bring him back at the same position. He wanted Philemon to elevate the person who hurt him the most. Not just bring him back into community as a worker, he wanted to bring him back into community as a friend. When Christ brings you into community, he doesn't do so where you are now just a servant. He says this to his disciples, says, you are no longer servants, but I see you as friends. Christ is elevating your very status with him. So when you receive this new nature, you go from being enemies of God to being friends of God. 
And there are some things in our lives that we need to reconcile with in 2020. There are things that are our enemies that God is trying to actually turn around and make them your friend. This is crazy. So I was praying. I saying, God, what is it? What is the things that we need to reconcile with? So there's three things real quick that we need to reconcile with in 2020. Number one is this. We need to reconcile with repeating. We need to reconcile. Some of our greatest enemy in our battle is that we repeat the same thing day after day and year after year. We beat ourselves up. I wanna challenge you today. You are ready for what's required. You are not gonna repeat 2019 and 2020 because what you're gonna do is you're gonna look at it and say, no, I'm not gonna continue to live that way, but what is in me is gonna work its way out of me and I'm, gonna li- I'm not going to repeat. Some of us have repeated the same thing from 2017 on. We repeat, we repeat, and we go around the same battle and the same fight, and we never grow with God, not because not, God's not growing in us and God hasn't done a work in us, it's because we continue to rely on what we don't wanna face. We repeat it because we don't wanna face it. We repeat it because we actually don't wanna rely on what's required of us and that Christ has already dealt with what you're dealing with. The thing you are facing that's keeping us stuck, guess what? You don't have to face it anymore. Christ has already faced it. What you need to do is trust in the one who's already faced what you are repeating year after year. And he's saying, there is more this year than you have ever seen. But what I need you to do is stop playing, stop putting it on repeat. Stop repeating the same behaviors, the same habits, the same way of thinking, the same way of living. Give it to God. Number two is we've, we, we must reconcile with relaxing. Now, I'm not saying like be a stressed out Christian. Please get my heart. Like I'm all for the Sabbath. This is not what I'm talking about. Relaxing is this. I think our greatest enemy is that we worry about everything else and we get complacent with our walk with God. We have got to stop relaxing with our relying on Christ. We get worried I don't know where the finances are gonna come from. I don't know what, how God's gonna deal with the family and I don't know how I'm gonna do this and do that. And we spend all of our time worrying, but we relax on the thing that helps deal with our worry, which is praying and seeking God and relying on God. And sometimes it's a daily thing. And sometimes it's like, hey, you know what? I actually have to do it right now because I'm getting worried. Jesus taught an anxious free life. You know that? But it's like, he made it sound way easier than like, and we preach it and it sounds so good. Everyone's like, ah, you know. He said, his whole teaching on anxious free life is boiled down to this statement. He says, seek thee first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I'm like, that sounds easy. I will never be anxious ever again because I'm seeking first God. But then we get so stressed about seeking first that we like, I'm like, didn't seek God first. I'm not, and you're like anxious, right? It's like the pain of religion, right? Like that's not what he was saying. But what he's saying is this, if you can get into alignment your relationship with Christ, the things that you are worried about will seem a lot less big because you will gain a perspective of Christ. When you seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness first, what he's gonna do is give you a perspective on the thing that's been worrying you and you're not gonna be as worried anymore. Why? Because you have gained heaven's perspective on an earthly problem. So God is saying, seek thee first the kingdom of God, but what we like to do is seek the first the problem and try to fix it our own. We cannot deal with what's required of us on our own. We have got to seek the one who has already dealt with it on the cross. And say, okay, God, every day I need you more than I did yesterday. God, lead me, guide me, direct me. God, open the doors that you want to be open, shut the doors that you want to be shut. And then God, I, I am not 
consumed with what I cannot control. That's a word for somebody. Do not be consumed with what you cannot control. We've gotta be consumed with the one who's done everything, but we get so consumed about things we can't even control in life. What people say to us, how much money's coming in this month or something, you know, you gotta work hard so you can control that. But you know, there's things that, that we cannot control that we are so worried about. And Christ is saying, relax on worrying about that, but don't relax about being with me. Don't get complacent with your walk. Number three is, I think God wants us to reconcile with, and he wants us to stop reliving and start remembering. The enemy wants you to relive your pain and your rejection, but let's take a moment and remember how faithful God is. If the enemy can get you to relive the pain of 2019, you'll relive that pain again in 2020. If he gets us to focus on everything that bad happened in 2019, guess what's gonna happen? We're gonna be so focused on that that the same things are gonna begin to happen in 2020. Let's take a moment and let's remember how good God is. Let's remember how faithful he is. We are living, we are breathing, we are here. If, if that is all that we can remember, we need to take a moment and say, God, I am so thankful that I am here. I remember you are so good. But we can now face these situations that are beyond us. Why? Because Jesus has already faced them. We need to stop trying to do everything on our own. This is why I love this letter. Philemon is sitting here doing everything he knows to do. Some of us in this room, this is us. You're leading, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're doing everything you have been taught to do your entire walk with Christ and yet you still feel like you are hitting a wall. God, I'm doing everything. That's why I love Philemon because he wasn't lazy. He, wasn't, he was doing it. He's giving of his finances, he's opening up his home, he's, he's, he's serving, he's giving and I actually think that was the easy part for him. But Paul writes to him and saying, okay, that's great that you're doing that. But I actually want you to bring in the one that is hurting you the most. And I want you to elevate him and make him your friend. It's time that you put this into practice. Because we can get caught in the motions of playing church, can't we? We can get caught in showing up, even serving doing the right thing, saying the right thing. But we avoid the problems in our lives that we actually don't wanna face. But it's in those problems that it's actually where Christ shows himself the most. It says in our weakness, his strength is not, he just doesn't make, you know, his strength is made what? Perfect. That it's in these moments of what we're facing, what is overwhelming, that Christ shows himself the most. We see this in verse 11, it says, formerly he who was useless to you, but now he is useful to you and me. Onesimus' name is defined this, it says to be an advantage or to be useful. So the person who rejected him, who backstabbed him, gossiped on him, did him wrong. This guy's name means to be an advantage or to be useful. Nothing is on accident that's put in the word of God. So the very thing that you thought was useless in your life, God is actually saying, that's what 
the advantage I've given you. Sometimes the greatest battle, the greatest hurt, the greatest pain that we face is not useless, but it's actually the most useful. It's where God does his best work. He takes the very thing that we have thrown out and said, this, this is so useless to me. And God says, no, 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 that's useful for you. Let me begin to turn it around and begin to make it happen. Because why? If the enemy couldn't take you out then, what makes him think he can take you out now? Sometimes the very things that were useless to you are the greatest faith builders because you're still here. You're still here. He didn't take you out. It, what, you, what was seemingly useless is useful. Because why? Because it's in those moments that you're facing what's required that what God has done in you, he now gets to do through you. See, that's where Christianity changes everything. It's not just, oh, God did this in me. Come on. You ever met that someone who's like, I'm, I, I, I'm saved. And then they like cuss you out the next moment. You're like, whoa, my bad. You know, which is if you cuss and you're a Christian, like we love you. No, like, judgment, okay? Like, I don't want this to be... But what I'm saying is this. The whole point of all of this is that we actually live in a different way that was not possible before we met Christ. It is possible to do acts of humanitarianism and, and not be saved. It is possible to show up and do religious things. It's possible to do those things on your own. To be dis you can be disciplined on your own. You can wake up every morning at 5 a.m. That, that's something you actually can train yourself which is good things, they're not bad things. But there is things in your life that Christianity is saying, really in its essence, is that God wants to deal with things that you cannot deal with. He wants you to face the issues you could not face. Because in that place of, nah, that's useless. No, 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 it's not useless. It's useful. It's useful for you to face this. Why? Because God has something on the other side that if you can face this, imagine the testimony that Philemon had and the community saw that Phi, everyone, are, you know, because Christians, we gossip sometimes. I'll be honest, like the prayer circle, you know? Guys, I just got to pray. This person did me dirty, you know? They need to get saved. Can we pray for their salvation right now? Like lift them up today. They're demonic, okay? Right? We do that. Okay, let's be honest. You've been busted, Okay. So we probably know that this community knows what's going on with Philemon and Onesimus, right? We can, we can use deductive reasoning. Imagine the testimony of everyone knows what happened in Philemon because they probably wouldn't have put the letter in the Bible if he didn't do it. So let's just assume that he didn't just bring him into community, but elevated him. Imagine what the community is looking at this leader, this businessman, this giver. He wasn't a pastor. I want you to get that. He wasn't the pastor of the church. He was an attendant who was volunteering his time. And he takes this and says, I'm gonna elevate you. You're our brother now, Onesimus. You're not just working, you're not working for me anymore. You're my brother. Imagine that testimony of him facing what's required. There are people who are waiting for you to face what's required on your life. There are family members who are waiting for you to face what's required on your life. There's people, salvation waiting to just to see, he, are they gonna, and when you face it and you deal with something that you have no natural ability to deal with because you relied on Christ, they're gonna be like, they have something I do not. Because if that person did this to me, I would have went off. 
Pastor Jensen has this amazing sermon. I want, you know, you can look it up. But he says, Jesus' greatest temptation was not in the desert. It was in the garden. When he had every right to call down a legion of angels and get set free from what was required of him. Do we get this? Jesus faced what's required for you and I so we can face what's required on our lives. Jesus came down to earth. And he, we see this in the garden. He says, God, if, 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 if I don't have to do this, please. Like we make it this like moment. We're like, yeah, commercialized holidays. Like he, you know, Easter, Christmas, it's great. But like, do we really know what happened before he died? He was weeping in pain and so much so he was sweating blood because he knew what was required on his life was bigger than him. He knew he would take everybody's sin, past, present, and future, in one moment, it would converge onto him. Why? So we could play church? So we could sit through this and do our good deed? No. He did that because he says, I'm gonna save those who are lost, and I'm gonna give them the ability to face things in life that without me, they could not face. So yeah, I'll face it. Yeah, I'll deal with the depression. I'll deal with the anxiety. I'll deal with the fact that they repeat the same thing every year and they relax on their relationship with me and they keep reliving these moments. I'll take that pain and that struggle so they do not have to. Do we understand? I know I'm yelling, I'm so sorry. I just love it, I'm pumped. If you don't like yelling, forgive me. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in a still small voice. But God, right now, Do we understand that what is required of you just for a moment has nothing to do with you? Christ took it all. You don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be addicted. Not because you're somehow earned it with God. No, you earned nothing with God, yet he gave you everything. I'm sitting here in awe. My God would do that. Can we just take a moment and realize what this is all about? It's not to just make it through it. I gotta just put my head. No, God says, I will actually work it in your favor. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.